0: Good morning. Can you see me over this thing? (laughs) Um, I made Heidi be a part of this because Heidi is also in seminary. Um, Thank you for that wonderful introduction, John. Um, You know, being a part of, of school, we often have online forums where we're asked the first week of the quarter to introduce ourselves and I often, you know, people talk about their, um, their spouses and their kids and their great ministry jobs, and I always say, well, I don't have any of those, but don't worry, I have a great dog. <laughs> Although, after Dan's uh, sermon on community a few weeks back, maybe I need to rethink that. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, also, uh, when I first wrote um, the majority of this sermon, um, I did it for class last spring. Um, I also made one of my classmates be blindfolded. So be lucky I didn't get to any of the bulletins before the sermon. Nobody has a blindfold hiding in their, in their uh, bulletin, so you're lucky. Um, the story of this unnamed blind man has always captured my attention and imagination, because I was born blind. Um, I was born with bilateral coloboma with nystagmus, which basically means that my optic nerve never fully formed, and the involuntary eye movement that you may have noticed in me over the years is just my eyes searching for a better source of light. my eyes themselves are actually quite healthy. I don't have blurriness, I, don't, uh, I see colors. Glasses don't fix my vision because the, the problem is with the optic nerve, so that's why I don't wear the glasses. And um, actually, a couple of years ago, I, I saw a, um, a neuro-ophthalmologist, and uh, uh, she, she told me that even if they were doing optic nerve transplants, which nobody's doing, it would be like putting a brand new cord in there and hooking it up to a part of the brain that, doesn't, that never developed. It'd be like buying a brand new um, phone cord, charging cord, for a phone that has just completely died. It's, it's not going to do anything. So um, that's been my life, and that's fine. Um, but despite ever-expanding world of ex- assess- accessible technology, um, I really like um, large print, I love audiobooks. books. Um, some of you may have seen me use my monocular over the years to, to read the, the lyrics up on the screen. Um, you may not see it, I always have a white cane in my bag. So despite these um, accessible devices and legislation like the um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act, I have really struggled to find full-time employment. Um, In fact, I have never gotten a job that I have either applied or interviewed for. (laughs) Every job I've had has been because someone has um, seen seen what I was capable of and, and gave me an opportunity. So this has been going on for about 10 years. And the first couple of years, it was fine. I worked as a substitute teacher and People, amazing people like Joey gave me an opportunity to work with her catering company. And and that was fine. You know, the economy was bad and I was quote unquote paying my dues. But after a few years, um, employers start to see these kinds of gaps as a a problem. They they start to think that it's your own fault that you haven't been able to um, maintain these full-time positions. And so, you know, it's it's really I've really struggled with it the The thing that I have heard over and over and over again is you need more management experience. I'm sorry, how do you get more management experience if you don't even give me a try? <laughs> so you know it I've really struggled with this over the years i've i've um I've really prayed about it i i've uh, i I've really struggled with that um, so and, and I'm not the only one. Um, there's, there's a lot of people with disabilities that really struggle to find, find work despite their backgrounds in education. And, um, so anyway, things couldn't have been much better for our friend in John chapter nine. Um, what do we know about him? Well, we don't know his name, but we know he was born blind and um, it, you guys, we only just scratched the surface of John chapter 9. Take an opportunity to, to really delve into it at some point. Um, later on, um, his parents verify that, that he was born blind. We know he's a beggar. Jesus encounters him along the road. Um, he would not have been educated because of his disability, but we know he's loved. Um, we know he's a man that has come of age, and so already we know that, that someone is, is taking care of him, and his parents stand up for him um, against the, the Pharisees later. So we know that he's, he's with family, and, and in his way, begging is probably his way of supporting his family. It's what he could do in that culture at that time. Um. And we also know that Jesus encounters Him and heals him on the Sabbath, which we always know is causes problems. <laughs> um, what's interesting is, if we go back just one chapter, John chapter eight starts with the story of the woman who was nearly stoned to death for adultery. And we, um, we know that, that Jesus intervenes, and he admonishes the Pharisees. He says, you judge by human standards, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For, the, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. My favorite part is uh, later in, in verse uh, 25 and the Pharisees. They, they've been going around and around and they just literally ask, who are you? And Jesus responds, Why do I speak to you at all? (laughs) Um, The chapter ends with the Pharisees accusing Jesus of being possessed by a demon, and they pick up stones and attempt to stone him to death. So John chapter 8 starts with an attempted stoning and ends with attempted stoning, all based on judgment and sin. Um. So John chapter 9 opens with Jesus and the disciples walking along and everything that has just transpired in chapter 8, the disciples notice a blind man and start asking questions. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus has just nearly gotten himself stoned to death for talking about sin and judgment, and the disciples want to judge whose sin caused the man's blindness. The disciples don't often get it. <laughs> Are they trying to prove they know what they're talking about? Um, and they want to verify their answer? Are they divided among their answers and want Jesus to settle the, the debate? Are they genuinely curious? What we don't see is concern or much compassion. They don't ask why, Jesus, or why God allows people to be born with disabilities. They don't ask if Jesus can or will heal the man. And they don't even ask the man's name. Like usual, the disciples think they know what they're talking about and are completely off the mark. The disciples talk about the man, but they don't talk to the man. This still happens to people with disabilities. Um, people regularly make decisions for me based on what they think I need or want. Including me often can be an inconvenience. I rely on my mom, public transportation, expensive rideshare um, cars, um, or just begging for rides um, to get where I need to go. Speaking of which, Becca, we need to talk about Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was one time I, was, uh, I went to, to Western Washington University as an undergrad. Um, I was working on a, a degree in teaching. And I was working with a, a, a group of students. We were going to take some. Supplies to a classroom and do a science experiment, and for whatever reason, I was the one that was available to go pick up the the um, the, the supplies, and so I had like stacks of these like ten gallon buckets and things stuck in all, and for the, the, the way that the buses ran for me to meet up with my classmates at the park and ride, I had to leave my campus apartment, take the bus onto campus, and then get on the commuter bus out to the, um, the park, and lot, park and ride parking lot. And when I got there, you know, carrying all this stuff, one of my classmates who was going to drive said, oh, I drove past you um, when you were sitting at the bus stop. But I didn't know where to turn around, so I just came here instead. Like, if you're not going to help, don't tell me about it. <laughs> um, at restaurants, staff often ask me if uh, I forgot my glasses because I have to hold my menu up. Um, or they offer me some readers. I've known three separate people in the last year or so that have ordered you know, a Lyft or a, a, an Uber. And the driver canceled their ride because they saw that the person had a guide dog. These kinds of things still happen pretty regularly. I can't follow my sermon notes with note cards, but I can use my iPad. (laughs) Nice large print. The Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels by Joel Green notes that this man is simultaneously, physically, and spiritually blind. The point of the story is not that the man was gifted with sight or to boast about Jesus's medicinal saliva. The point is that he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. The man is not a cautionary tale of sin and woe, but a beautiful reminder um, to take the opportunities to do God's work in the world, no matter who you are. The man had a purpose. We find a similar lesson in Matthew 9. Um, uh, The man who is paralyzed is brought to Jesus. Um, The books of Mark and Luke include the detail that his friends are so desperate to get him to Jesus that they tear a hole in the roof. Um, And Jesus rewards their faith by forgiving the man's sins. The reward was not that the restoration was not the restoration of his body. Jesus does heal his body to prove he has the authority on earth to forgive sins, but the but the restoration of his soul was what was most important to Jesus. The man and his friends came to Jesus with an expectation and Jesus exceeded it. Have you ever experienced a time when Jesus has exceeded your expectations? I have been a part of our um, ministry to the Wolof people of Senegal for about 10 years now. And when John, Todd, Lynn, and Brandon first came back from that first trip in 2007, and they were giving their reports, I just knew I needed to be a part of this ministry. Um, I was on a plane to West Africa six months later. You cannot believe how much our ministry has changed in the last 10 years. Projects we thought we could do, the, the, the things that we came up with often fell short only to be replaced with better plans, often God's plans. The health clinic that is now being built in Jagale is one of these examples. We recognized years ago that Jagale needed some some medical attention, needed medical services. We would bring backpacks full of first aid supplies and leave them with Aji, one of the chief's wives. And we, we dreamed about... Um, maybe building a, a small hut where we could store some supplies and, you know, maybe we could get Aji some, some basic health, uh, you know, first aid kind of training or, or some kind of medical training. None of that happened because what God had in mind was so much better. There's, there will be a safe place for women to give birth There will be medical staff to support our village and the surrounding villages. There will be an ambulance to transport serious cases to the hospital. No more donkey carts. There will be an evangelist on staff. Jesus is exceeding our expectations. Meanwhile, I was beyond blessed to go on trips in 2008, 2009, and 2012, but then I endured a five-year gap. For a variety of reasons, my next trip kept getting put off. Twice I was slated for trips, then asked to step back to allow someone else who had maybe not been before so they could go. I started to wonder what my purpose in the group was. Tasks that I had fulfilled for many years got reassigned to other people. Trips would be scheduled to accommodate certain people's schedules that would then exclude me. And I often felt like I wasn't heard during meetings. Um, When the trip of March of 2017 came around, and yet again I was not selected to be on the trip, I just felt dejected. Um, while the team was gone we always do a prayer vigil you guys sign up for the prayer vigils they're amazing I signed up to pray for the team each night from 11 o'clock to midnight while they were gone um, you know I was finishing up my quarter I knew I wouldn't get home until about 10 30 those nights so I, I purposely picked a late night hour those first three nights I just cried um, I just couldn't get past my disappointment. I kept asking God, why me? Or rather, why not me? The thing about traveling to Jagale though, is that it, um, it takes a while. First, you get on a plane, and you're basically on a plane for about a full day. And then we land in, in Dakar. There's actually a new airport now, so it'll be even closer. And we would drive into um, you know, either Dakar or Chess and spend the night. Um, Then we would spend several more hours the next day in a car driving to Kefrine, where we stay. And oftentimes, we don't even make it into the village until the next day. So there's a good chance that, and that's if we go directly to Jagale. You know, if if we stop to do meetings or, or meet with anybody else along the way, it can be three, four, five days before we actually get to our village. So about three days in, pictures finally started coming, showing up on Facebook. Um, So I did something that that might sound kind of weird. I started praying with my iPad. I started the evening with just literally going to each person who was on that travel team, going to their Facebook page, going to their Instagram feed, and just praying for the people I was seeing in those pictures. My friends, my family, our missionaries, our team members, it gave me an opportunity to, to refocus. I didn't cry. I didn't feel sad or jealous or unimportant. I knew my place was with these people, even if I was physically far away. And my loves and, my love and prayers kept us connected. I then turned to YouTube, and um, we had sung the song, King of My Heart, that week, and the, the tune had been stuck in my head. And so I decided to kind of look it up. I picked one version out of just at random. And I just started to pray and sing along with the song. And when we got to the bridge, you know, the part where it's, uh, you're never going to let, never going to let me down, there was this African drumming that was happening in the background. I'd never heard that before. I just had this overwhelming sense of peace and acknowledgement of everything that I had been processing. I've never been able to find that particular recording again. If you find it, don't tell me about it. I like to think that this was my special message from God. Keep that a secret if you find it again. (laughs) There are times when I'm still not clear what my role in this ministry might be. Still don't really know where, what my job is going to be in the future. I find it kind of ironic that we picked someone who's unemployed to speak on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> but um, it's not, maybe it's not my time to know. The, great, the thing about a testimony is it should never end. It's just you're taking a, to, a, a pause, a, a moment to tell your story so far. What I did realize is that I wasn't useless to my cause either. I got to go back to Senegal last summer, and I'm headed back again this fall in October. Jesus reveals God's work in unexpected ways, exceeding our expectations. He heals the blind, makes the paralyzed walk, forgives sins, builds health clinics, and comforts the dejected and the lonely. Um, Last week, Theron Fenner asked us to think about how we can be peacemakers in the world. Some of us might get the very great privilege of traveling to West Africa or somewhere else in the world. Some of us might get the very great privilege of serving in our own communities. One way you might help is to raise funds, help us raise funds for our health clinic or help us cover our travel costs. Was this all a build up for a sales pitch? No. Am I going to take the opportunity? Yes, yes I am. <laughs> the first floor of our health clinic is built. And, but like everything in Senegal, uh, it, it happens in phases. We start with one room, and then we build on another, and then we build on the top floor. It, everything happens in phases. And the next phase will cost us about $10,000. Um, that will go a long way to finishing what has started, help provide furnishings and supplies, may help us even get started with the uh, with sleeping quarters for our staff and for us. You guys, we could stay in, Sen- in Jagalay, not in tents someday. What will we be doing in Senegal? Um, hopefully running some um, clinic days reconnecting with our missionary friends, our family in Senegal, praying, maybe distributing soap, all I know is our our expectations will be exceeded enormously. Thank you. next